Come on. They're right there. Let's go. Move, 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 move. This episode of Choices Not Chances podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. Located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. For more information, stay tuned at the end of this episode. This is Choices Not Chances with Ryan and Matt. I'm your host, Ryan Rogers. Today, Matt's not going to be with us, but we're joined with a special guest, Adam Franco. And uh, thanks for being here. Yeah. I appreciate it. So happy. Uh, it's a little drive from me to get down here, but it ended up working out because I got um, I had a trip lined up anyway. I was kind of waiting on on the golf outing, yeah. and then COVID kind of jacked that up and kind of made that a made that an issue. But I have a buddy that's down here at the Harley Davidson Institute School that's down here. Um, what is it? Motorcycle Mechanics Institute, yeah, something yeah. like that. And so he's through the first. Uh, He's through the first little little portion, and then he goes to his electives where he's going to work on bikes, which is awesome because then I don't have to pay to get my bike work done. Man, so, man, there you go, right there. You and go. I know it's, it's always about knowing people and having the right connection. That's right. That's right. So I'm down here, and he just stays like he's got his house up in North Carolina by us, right outside of Lejeune. But he uh, he's got an RV, and so he parked in an RV park, and then little slip rental, and he stays in the RV, and so for nine months he'll commute back and forth to you know to. Uh, to go to school and back so i think he got to a point because he's always got like his buddies around up there and he just got to a point where he's like on a i need to see some of my dudes so he yeah. called us up and i'm like perfect i need to come down there anyway i'll make a thing of it and i can stay with you and then just drive to get my thing kind of save on money and and uh have a good time at the same time so we went out and we actually came right down here about 30 minutes north of of, of right here to to fish last night just on a whim thought we'll go to a public access probably won't catch anything but yeah. We'll check it out, and there was a frenzy going on. Spanish blues, tarpon everywhere. It was insane. I've never seen nothing like it. So, um, but glad we got to get here. Glad we got to, or I got to get here, and uh, hopefully Matt on the next one. But um, just uh, do some talking today. If you guys can see, we got a little dog over here named Floki. Yeah. Got a. All right. Yeah. So down here, down here with uh, Adam Franco at his residence. And you can see his me wall in the back looking nice. Yep. I'm loving the uh, custom-made uh, little shadow box you got up there. That's dope. You say yeah, your dad made that? Yeah, my dad made My dad has a ton of really cool wood stuff. My kids got a bunch of stuff in their, uh, in their room. It's like his retirement hobby. Yep. But he made me one like this. He made my brother one, too. My brother was uh, actually a uh, tank commander in 2004 in Iraq. He was in Fallujah and Najaf. Uh, okay. So he's got a you know nice little I love me uh, bring shadow that, box as bring well. Bring that mic about. Little, right like when you lean back, just bring it with you if you want to lean back. Okay. I'm gonna scoot my chair up and then I'll have to perfect, move. perfect. Yeah, so uh, no, he, but my dad does like awesome, awesome woodwork. He does up. this stuff. He does a bunch of little stuff for my kids. Like so, he's uh him and Matt would get along famously. Matt got out. He does this heavy mechanic thing, but mm -hmm. then he's got that other side of him where he wants. He loves working with wood. Yeah. And I went to his house in Louisiana not long ago, and he like rebuilt his entire staircase in cedar. Just him. Just no big deal. Just going to build a staircase in my house. So you got to have patience for woodwork. Like, I don't have that patience like my dad's got. Like, mm. And then if you, like, mess something up, I would be like, screw it. Throw that thing in the trash. Like, yep. He'll be like, no, I will fix it. I will do this little piece here. I'll do a It's like a finesse like, kind of a yeah, construction. It, it is. Weird. It's definitely like a, like. 
those guys that are good with wood like that, it's honestly, it's more art than anything. It is. It's creativity because yeah. they can see how they can see it in its finished product before they even start it. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I don't do that either. I just, yeah. I just uh, recorded a, a guy named uh, Robert and we call him Shrek and uh, he'll be coming out either next week or the week after something like that. But he paints for therapy. Yeah. And it, he uh like he old a, president bush he was a firefighter for a long time he did uh you know some cadaver recovery stuff some water yeah. water stuff and and deals with some sh- with some shit right um yeah. and you, it comes out in his art he, he's got he's got some beautiful art and then he's got s- some beautiful art that's darker right mm-hmm. and uh you watch that one that episode you can learn why i mean he's a success story that started off in a travesty like- those firefighter paramedics, and we talk about military vets all the time, like stuff you've been through, stuff you've seen. Mm. But like the firefighter paramedics, those dudes that arrive on like I-95, those accidents, mm. see as gruesome as stuff as we've seen with IED blasts. You know, minimum, like minimum. I mean, it's just. And you know, like thank God most of our stuff wasn't children, and and, oh, the, and yeah. the, you know, and these are not enemies and not somebody that was trying to hurt you. So yeah, it's like a completely different. Yes, sir. It's a completely different thing. Yeah, it's crazy. But um, so just a little backstory. Adam Franco was one of the platoon commanders in the Marja invasion from Marja One in 2010 with Redman Three Six, uh, Kilo Company. And um, though we didn't, you know, we didn't operate as much together in country just because of how segregated we were. It was kind of like a squad and platoon level size fight everywhere. Yeah. Um, a man of somebody that's gained, you know, an immense amount of respect from myself um, and the company that you keep. Somebody that I dear hold dear to my heart is e-man and and that's good company and and it's the same mentality it's the same kind of people that i like surrounding myself with and i like trying to get uh into the brain of especially i'm writing a new book right now on leadership just my own take on life it's not just about the military it's leadership and teams coming up leadership in the family leadership in combat leadership in business and so i picked like 10 uh, notable people to read about and yep. so 10 books I'm reading those and then doing my interviews with people like yourself E-Man uh, different people throughout my life that have kind of helped shape my leadership so I can kind of understand where y- if I can understand where y'all started and where you came from then I can understand better your uh, like your lead- leadership uh, mentality and maybe your yeah practice. and that's awesome and that, that's like that's like the end state of what all these companies are doing right now you know, they, everyone wants a diverse work workforce, but no one really knows what that means. Mm. And the reality is, we we, we we you know we default to oh, diversity is you know skin color, religion, male and female, mm. and we don't always realize like diversity is more about the different experiences. Mm. How did you get to this point where you're such a good leader? But like, what, what were the experiences and and what education you got? What what shaped you to get to this point? Mm. And it's cool the way you're taking that approach because like you're going to read ten different leaders. I guarantee you they have 10 different experiences. Oh, and yeah. if you put all 10 of those guys on the same team, right, that's diversity. You mm-hmm. know, it's like, you know, we, we can't, we can't, we, we, we kind of fall victim because we fall victim to metrics, right? Like, what? For sure. Like, oh, well, I got to have half women, half men. It's like, all right, well, well, that, well, those men and women might be raised the exact same way with the same exact experiences. You're not getting the diversity you think you're getting. You know? Yeah, oh, 100%. And you may get three of them that have the exact same coming mm-hmm. up. They just happen mm-hmm. to be, di- you know, diverse and in yep. their appearance let's say yeah but maybe not in their experience and then like yeah and so i'm reading um i'm reading one now called supreme command and it covers uh clemensow it covers uh, mcclellan it covers uh uh churchill and it covers lincoln and so i wanted to do political leaders 
alpha leaders, beta yep. leaders, military leaders, things like, <laughs> hey, how you doing? Hey, hey, come here, you. She's like, I want your beard. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so uh, it's been enlightening because, you know, before, I would say before my Marine Corps career, I wasn't a big reader. During it, I started reading, but then after it, when I started getting into school, I just realized how much I can get out of that. I can read about other people's failures and successes and then gauge my own way to handle that off of their failures and successes. Yep. And then, you know, so the whole point in doing all of this is to show guys like us uh, that may be struggling a little bit with their experiences or with their transition or, you know, with their um, service, you know, because not everybody got to do awesome things. Some people had to do horrible things. Yeah. Uh, um, talked about my buddy Shrek with the cadaver recovery. That's something I don't ever want to do. Guys that went to Kosovo and had to do mass burial uh, recovery. Yeah. That this is stuff that not cool. So um, a lot of people struggle with it. And I think it's natural. And a lot of people under, need to understand that it is natural to have these side effects when you see these unnatural things. Like 100%. it's how you deal with them that, that makes you who you are. And, uh, and so I want to bring on as many people like yourself uh, and the, the other guys, the rest of the slew that I got on the roster are guys that I personally know have been through um, the grips of real combat, uh, kinetic fight against the enemy. And, oh, by the way, yeah, they struggled. Some of them struggled, but they didn't let that um, point in time define their life. It's like, sure. okay, I need to move on. I need to do what I need to do for me to get right for my family because that was just a small portion of my life. Yep. And if I can't get past that, then I'm going to be stuck in this spot. And so that's the whole point in bringing people on. Yeah, you got to, you, after we go through, after you go through that experience, I tell people all the time, like you can't get rid of the experience. Mm -hmm. There's no magical therapy. There's no magical pill. None of that stuff's going to get rid of the experience. Right. And you almost have this void because you create this period in time that you don't want to constantly relive. So it becomes this void. And then you have to think to yourself, like, what am I doing to fulfill that void I have, mm. right? And, like, for me, it's coaching my kids, coaching at Coco High School. Like, it's doing the things that, like, I'm like, all right, I'm still making an impact on people. Mm. Right? I'm still making an impact on my kids. I'm purpose. making an impact on, yeah, giving you that sense of purpose. I think so many guys go through, you know, uh, whether it's a tough kinetic fight or it's a, you know, a tough deployment or, you know, you go to firefighter, paramedic, we were just talking about, like, you go through those things and then, like, you try to compartmentalize them and you push them away and you create mm. this void. Mm -hmm. But it's a, you, you, you won't recover unless you figure out a way to actually fill that void. And I fill that void through, through sports. Mm. I fill that void through my family, my friends, and I fill that void through continuing to coach. Like, Cocoa High School, it's, like, the lowest income area around here. Like I coach, I mean, I, I coach in the low income part of Brevard County mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, a lot of my players, you know, I picked them up, dropped them off. You know, some of them live in a, you know, four wall center block house with a flat roof mm -hmm. and they, that's just the cars they were dealt, mm -hmm. you know, and some of them, some of them have a full family and some don't, you know, some of them don't know who the father is. Some don't, some don't know who the mother is. Some don't, you know, and it's like making that impact on them. Mm. right is is doing more like last year we had 15 seniors we sent 13 to college we sent mm. two to the military mm. one to the marines and one to the navy uh but making that impact is more than any bill or legislative thing that any congress or any any government could pass right mm. you can't you can't write a bill 
to save those kids. It's no. not possible, no. right? It takes people intervening in their lives and helping them get on the right trajectory, helping them, you know, uh, get to college. You know, you know, so many of them are first generation going to college and oh, things yeah. like that. Like it's just, but that's how you fill that void. Mm. You got to find purpose. You right? got to find something. And, and what it sounds like is you've done that perfectly, but something in my experience, you got to find something that is bigger than self. Yeah. Uh, self as in yourself, as in the self, self-actualized self. It, if you're only ever doing things self-serving and you're never trying to uh, go outside, like live for a b- bigger purpose than your own intrinsic wants and needs, then you, I don't think you'll get past that. Yeah. I think you need to, at least in my experience with, uh, you know, my transition, my, you know, recovery, if you want to call it that, was just really having faith in people again and then being nice like trying to give back and that's what you're doing with these kids and like you said some of these kids that maybe now don't have um you know full families that's a that's something that's plaguing plaguing our nation is you know single mother households or single father households for that matter it's hard it's hard to do it and and the child needs both sides of that oh yeah they always do they turn out you know less less let's say um damaged if they have that full love and support of of the entire family and we don't have like that like that's continuing to decrease you know by the year it's continuing to go down for the last 50 years so i think that's something and then you can step in and you can bring your experiences from your life and your struggle and strife and kind of guide these kids at an impressionable young age that maybe never had a solid um role model in their life or or father figure in their life or man figure in their life so um bravo i mean that stuff to me is amazing you find your purpose in that and i find my purpose in coming and showing people your purpose <laughs> yeah. so and having the conversation yeah um, man so, so that's where it's at but so before we get too far into where we're at now and and i do want to come back to that but let's start at the beginning i need to know like born family yeah. um, siblings. so i was born in brooklyn new york uh lived there for about like 10 10 years of my life 11 years of my life uh i got an older brother uh he he served in the army he was enlisted uh, I was a tank commander uh, in 04, like I said, in a Joff and Fallujah, both, you know, big battle of Fallujah he was in. Um, you know, he's probably, you know, one of my biggest idols. And I think I think because I came from, like, such a, a working-class family, my, my dad was a firefighter, you know, and uh, I think that definitely shaped me as an officer because I came in to, like, uh, to lead in my platoon, and I thought, of my sergeants similar to my brother mm. and because of how like the respect i had for my brother and because of how smart i knew my brother was i feel like i never came into my platoon thinking like oh the guy with his four-year degree is here to save the day mm-hmm. you know like mm-hmm. i never had that impression mm-hmm. like it was always for me it was like all right guys they taught me some cool ways to attack people <laughs> now you tell me when we should actually use what those. do we think about like this? yeah like here like and like that's how i always ran like i never came up with a plan in a vacuum because i respected what the rank of sergeant was i respected the enlisted leader so mm. much because in my head i was always thinking like that's what my brother was and i would ask my brother this question so i'm gonna go ask joey harms you know this question as well mm. uh so like I think so that that was a good and I got a, I got a younger sister too, um, she's a uh, she's a, a teacher, um, she's had a nice little baby. He's just turned one, 
Nice. And then, uh, yeah, so we lived up in there. We lived up in New York for 10 years. My dad retired from the fire department, moved down to South Florida. Uh, literally like a year later or so. No, probably. Um, and this is what? This was like, I'm trying. I was, I was I'm thinking in my head, like trying to go through everything. So I was, uh, I was in fourth grade when we moved down here. And then, so we lived here for, for years and years. And then when September 11th happened, I was actually senior in, uh, in high school. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at like a couple of different places to go to play college football. Okay. And the Merchant Marine Academy was actually recruiting me to play football. But I was kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to Merchant Marine Academy. And September <laughs> 11th kind of changed that for me. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I'm going to give this a real look. And I ended up deciding to go there. And I always wanted to go in the Marine Why? Corps. Uh, I think what, I, what is the catalyst of 9/11 that did something to you? You know, it was, like it was so it was it so down. it was so personal. Like my dad was a firefighter; all of his friends were still firefighters. He lost a couple friends in the tower collapses. Like that was personal. Like my dad actually got on a plane where there were very few planes flying, flew to New York, and mm-hmm. like dug, just dug mm-hmm. for like three weeks. Mm-hmm. And like I could tell, him doing that had it had had an immense like impact. I think on. Yeah on what I was going to do in life. And I always wanted to be a Marine. Like, when I was five years old, you remember they had those little postcard things? I literally made my mom work with me to fill out one of those postcards, and I mailed it in. And uh, she was like, no one's ever going to respond to this. And literally, uh, this major from a recruiting station responded and was like, hey, Adam, like, we love your enthusiasm. We love that you want to you know, come be a, be a Marine, but we prefer that you go to college. You know, go to college and get a degree and then join the Marine Corps. And he sent me, remember those old iron-on patches? Yeah. Like you could put on like a, like, a white, uh, like a white T-shirt. So my mom ironed it onto that white T-shirt. And I literally, uh, like she had to fight me to take that shirt off. Like I refused to take that shirt off ever. That's so awesome. Your battery going to die? Are yeah, you good? I didn't have it switched on. Yeah, so. Uh, no, so. That was your pride and joy. That, that, that shirt was my shirt, and, I, you know, she probably, after she peeled it off my body after like four days, probably threw the thing <laughs> right in the garbage pail. No, so yeah, that, that's, that, that was my catalyst, really, for, for. I always wanted to go into the Marine Corps. I always wanted to serve. My dad was a Marine. Okay. He got out as a Lance Corporal. Okay. You know, my brother was already in the Army. When we were younger, we didn't do Boy Scouts. We did Young Marines, which was like a. I actually did it down uh, in West Palm, where like 4th okay. Anglico is today. Okay. That's the station i went to every thursday and did young marines it's like we were super into it our whole lives and then i had the opportunity to go to merchant marine academy and for merchant marine academy it's like that's the best kept secret in the world man so Tell me. so there's five service academies you know you have all your traditional ones air force mm-hmm. army coast guard all merchant marine academy is the fifth service academy nobody knows about so from that academy you got two choices you can either go five years active duty uh in any branch of the service you want or you do eight years working in the maritime industry but you got to do eight years in the Navy Reserve and you have to get your good retirement years for all those eight years as well. Like, so basically it turns out it's like two weeks a year. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I went there, I always knew in the back of my head, like I'm going to go to the Marine Corps. You know, that's how I'm going to fill my commitment. Yeah. That's how I ended up in the, uh, in the Marine Corps after I graduated. And, and you played football there. Yeah. I played, I played college football there. You played the whole time. Yep. Whole time. Yeah. And yeah. you were a receiver. Or? I played, uh, I played the res- running back, up until my senior year. And then my senior year, we kind of changed our offense. We had another good freshman running back come in, and I moved to, like, slot receiver. Um, and that was, you know, I, I think I, that was really my more natural position. Yeah. Uh, I was a little bit out of place playing running back. I always, like, when, even in high school, we played, like, a wing tee, and I was a wing back. I was never okay. really true with that come downhill running back. 
Um, but yeah, no, so that, that was, I mean, college was great. Played college football and then went to the Marine Corps and, uh, you know, end up at 3-6 with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's wild. So 9-11 definitely played a yeah. big role in the decision-making process at that time. Yeah, I mean, because like, I was like looking at going to FAU to play football when they were still like a D2 school. I was looking at William & Mary to yep. play, and, and then it was just kind of like. That's a, that's a nice one. Yeah, but I mean, you know, as far as school and yeah, education, but goes. like at the end of the day, my dad was like, "Listen, you're not going to the NFL, brother." Like, <laughs> let's be real for like, a minute. Like, like, I was like, "How dare you? I'm going to the NFL." I'll like, show you. You're not going to the NFL. You're five eight. Like, you're not going. Uh, so that's when I was like, "All right, I got to go to Merchant Marine Academy." And you got to think with your head, son. <laughs> yeah. So Merchant Marine Academy was the best school, uh, best opportunity I had, and then I was like, "You know, I go to Merchant Marine Academy. I still leave the door open for you to go to the Marine Corps." Because like in my in the back of my mind, like. If I wasn't going to go to college and play football, I was like, I'm going to enlist. Yeah. And then I think back, I'm like, man, I'd probably be dead if I enlisted. Because I would be enlisting right after 9-11. And I probably would have spent 20 years just deploying, 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 you know. I mean, I would have had multiple, multiple deployments to Iraq. I would have been there with my That's my what brother. I did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're speaking my truth. Yeah. I mean, that's just what happens. So I all those guys. A two years. Well, you graduate in 02? Yeah. Yeah, I graduated in 04. And my whole SOI stick went to Fallujah too. Mm-hmm. anybody that was going to the fleet. So, yeah, it was uh, wild. So, uh, family growing up, you have two siblings, a brother and a sister, older and a younger. Your brother's a tank commander, so he went – where did he go to college? He didn't go to college. Oh, he, he didn't go, go to he college. He was an enlist. So, so, the way a tank platoon works, yeah, like one of the tank commanders is an officer, and the other ones are like sergeants, like similar okay. like okay. our squad leaders. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So, so he was a tank enlisted tank, tank platoon commander. Gotcha. And that's sweet. I always liked tanks. I got to um, – I got to ride in one and shoot the Coax 240 um, and sit in the driver's seat and stuff. And we would go out to CACs and yeah, operate yeah, with yeah. tanks and stuff back in the day. And uh, they're awesome. No, the Coax 240 is pretty legit. Yeah, I mean, two grand put a windshield out like mm-hmm. with one burst. It's on yeah. it. And it's like a video game mm-hmm. in, their, in their little... That wouldn't be comfortable. Like, yeah, I went out I like to the visit. idea of tanks, but being in them is... I'm, no, I'm yeah, I went out to visit my brother uh, like right before I went to Merchant Marine Academy. Like that summer before I went, I mm-hmm. flew out... He was in station in, in the, one of the worst places in the world, Fort Hood, Texas, like oh, Colleen, Colleen, Texas. Like there's like a Walmart and an Applebee's and a Roadhouse. <laughs> like welcome to Colleen, Texas. And uh, I went out there and he got me into the motor pool and got to get on tanks and show some stuff. It was around. pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And what? So what made you uh, be an infantry officer? So I mean, that's I, I always decision. Yeah, like I always said to myself, like if I'm going to the Marine Corps, like I'm going to be a Marine. And in my opinion, growing up, like. Marine was infantry. Like, that's just what it was. Yep. Like, like later on in life, I, be, I was like, wait, there's other stuff. That's funny because like, you're like, not the you only mean? person that ever said I'm that. I'm like, wait, there's, a, like, there's an enlisted welder? Like, what the hell is a welder doing in the Marine Corps? You could like, be a cook. What? <laughs> like, like, what? So, so I was, like, panicked, like, a little bit. Like, you know, I went to TBS, and it was like, every time we were ready to go to the field, Everyone was like, oh, I hope we have nice weather. I'm like, I hope it pour rains the whole time. And all you I'm people all start, my charms. take take freaking infantry out of your top five right now. Yep. And I actually, when the list came out, because they do it by thirds. Mm-hmm. And I was in the top third. And they, the reason they do it by thirds, they try to spread the quality of officer across all the MLSs. Yep. Yep. I came out of the system, this like computer-generated system, as an air supply officer. 
Like, could you imagine me as an air supply officer? Like, I would have been in, I would have gotten so much trouble. Everyone would be getting yelled at. Like, I would have had a terrible career. It would have been bad. But my SBC was like, yeah, no, he's not air supply. And he swapped me and somebody else. But you wanted to be an infantry officer. I wanted, like, day one. Like, I literally filled out my list and I only wrote infantry officer. Is there guys there that don't, that want other stuff? There is a ton. Like, percentage wise of a class, how many would want to be an infantry officer? And how many are able to be an infantry officer? 20% want to be an infantry officer, and I think you think, think from the attrition, probably about 10% are capable okay, okay. of truly being an infantry officer. Going to IOC, living that life, you know, like IOC's no joke. Now talk to me uh, about that since we're you, yeah, you already so, enlisted and talk to me about IOC. Yeah, so I mean, IOC, I think IOC is probably one of the hardest schools out there. Um, it's just because the, the expectation level mm. uh, is, is really, really high. and And it's not like... You go to I- IOC and we're gonna make you an infantry officer. I-, I don't believe that. Like the stuff they taught us at IOC, like there was nothing that more high speed that we that if you actually cared at TBS, you didn't already learn. Mm. IOC was like a consistent kick in the nuts, and I'm convinced that the reason they have <laughs> IOC is they are just gonna repeatedly kick you in the nuts just to, to make really sure. <laughs> well, no, to make sure that you you won't quit mm-hmm. because you can't quit. In combat, right? Like the, the lieutenant in combat can't be like, "All right, I'm out. I'm good. That's I'm too good, mu- guys. Too much, like, guys. Too much. Like <laughs> they, they, there's there's too many tasks, you know, that you're so, that is associated with the lieutenant. Whether it's like calling for air support, like all that kind of stuff, controlling your platoon. Like you can't be a guy that's going to give up. So I I truly believe uh, that that's what IOC is. IOC mm. is the Marine Corps sanity check that they're going to take this dude. That with a four-year degree, and we're going to put you in, in, in charge of a bunch of guys that wanted to be infantry and, and fire breathers, and you're going to have dudes with multiple deployments, and you have all this stuff. And I really think they're just sanity checking. The guy they're putting in charge of that platoon is going to be an open-minded guy who's going to listen to his enlisted guys about stuff that they're giving him, feedback to giving them. Mm-hmm. He's never going to give up on them. Mm-hmm. And I think we got lucky with 3-6 because all the tenants that came to 3-6 from our IOC class, you know, they were all guys that I like looked at at IOC and was like, dude, 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 mm-hmm. dude, mm-hmm. you know. And like I was happy with the group. I think there was like one guy uh, who I'll keep nameless that ended up getting relieved on deployment, but he was the guy in IOC who I was like, you're fake news. Mm-hmm. And on deployment, what did he get relieved? You could for? just see it he was it. literally sleeping during a firefight. He had a squad in contact and he was sleeping, and like he wasn't up on the radio. Like I get it. Like they're on patrol. Like that, you're asleep, but you, you have squad in contact, bro. Like, get up. Yeah, when there's a tick, somebody should be waking the yeah. sir up. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Like, literally, how many times have you been like, like if if you if you have fire teams right and something happens, they're like, you better wake me up. Like, as a squad 100%. leader, too. you got to know. Like, you wake me up. Yeah. I don't care what it is. Especially you wake me up. if it's a gunfight. Oh yeah. And you're not with them because you probably should be at your platoon's yep. uh, biggest friction point and if that's one squad out of the wire you probably should be with them Mm -hmm. but i mean there's other things that come into play watcho and the cycle so it's not always possible but yeah sleeping is probably not yeah i mean we did we did like three or four patrols a day we Mm -hmm. always did like uh we did at least two sometimes three day patrols and we always did a night patrol and Mm -hmm. i did one day patrol and i always did the night patrol because the night patrol i wouldn't let back in the wire until the sun came up so i always had a, a squad outside of the patrol base as the sun came up because we got attacked a bunch of times early on in the deployment like yeah. the first month or so as yeah. soon as the sun came up call a prayer and yeah and it was like bang. boom here we go so i always wanted that maneuver i never wanted to have us all in one building all in one compound and then be like 
uh, I have I gotta just call for help, or I gotta have a bunch of dudes try to run out a door like a turkey shoot, yeah. you know, and become a maneuver element. So we always had that group out. I was always with them, so I could always you know be that maneuver element. Yeah, smart. Yeah, I I think it it's definitely it's definitely the right move. It's sometimes in combat you, you have timelines and rosters to fill out and things like that, and I'm kind of being facetious, but yeah. there are other things going on than just the combat. So sometimes you can't be out, but I think anybody worth their salt needs to try to stay at that. Fr- I mean, that, as my job as a squad leader there is to be at the yeah. squad's point of most friction, right? And that's as a lieutenant, that's what you're to do with your platoon. Yeah. So, um, yeah, man, we did get lucky. Um, I, I think we talked offline a little bit about that. It was the best command I've had and for the worst deployment. So it ended up working out good. Yeah. You don't want that weak command. Um, I had a very weak command when I was in 3-2. All y'all out there, there's your shot. <laughs> Y'all notice, you know, when you go from something that is as exceptional as, exceptional as what we had in Marja as far as small unit leaders, even all the way up to, to the colonel. I mean, you know, different strokes for different folks. And some people say they love, you know, their command. Some people say they hate them. But there's not a lot of people that said they hated our command from three six. Matter of fact, yeah. I've never heard of a sour word, really. Dude, man, so, I mean, like, I mean, people can say whatever they want to say about Colonel Christmas, like, that guy got blown up more than anybody on a deployment. That Always jump, out. That, that jump, I forget that sergeant's name. Denny Durr. Was that Sergeant Durr? Sergeant yeah. Durr and Sergeant Bauer. Man, mm-hmm. those dudes, those dudes were in were in the shit like every single day because mm-hmm. you know Colonel Christmas was like, I'm gonna, not going to allow IEDs or the enemy to prevent me from knowing what's going on in my battle space mm-hmm. and seeing the Marines and getting the ground truth because that's what I respected about him. Yeah, I mean, he didn't as want, much cowboy he didn't want stuff. Some report. He literally would walk into my patrol base and be like, where are they? What help do you need? Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, here's what I know. And then I'd be like, you, sergeant, who lives in this patrol base? Because I'm bouncing from three different patrol bases. I'd be like, come here. Tell the colonel where the bad guys are. Yeah. Like, you know, or tell, tell the colonel what, what our issues are. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, it would be a broad spectrum of stuff, you know. And, uh, For sure. I respected the guy that wouldn't lead from behind the freaking HESCO. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I've seen some of that in my career, too guys that didn't want to come out after a certain rank or after a certain billet and it's like and that's fine because like you got there right um but there's always that little bit of animosity like yeah yeah now you're gonna crush me and you don't even come outside the wire kind of thing right <laughs> i remember uh one funny story is we had um uh uh major moore i think it was billy moore yeah. was our exo for the battalion and billy he was Ray phenomenal moore. phenomenal Best. dude and uh, i'm on we did like whatever 30 days of hard on kinetic combat every day and then they stuck us at the flagpole to do civil affairs group cag uh stuff where we're helping the locals and like there's something to be said about taking a platoon that's been that heavily engaged and then turning them over to deal with people but we 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 managed it but one day i'm sitting down at the you know the little serpentine area we're trading out fertilizer and the bats and hides was all down there and uh colonel christmas comes down but he's in boots and utes he's got his pistol on and uh, no Kevlar, no kit, no flak, no nothing. And just goes riding a 10-speed out of the serpentine and down like 608. And I'm like, when I see him do it, it's not like I can be like, hey, sir, no. I actually heard I'm so-and-so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I was just like, uh, all right, all right, boys, hey, keep keep your eyes on the colonel. I got to get clearance real quick to go out. Stand by, you know, whatever. <laughs> and Colonel Moore was right, or Major Moore, later Colonel Moore. He, Major Moore was right there, and he's like, Rogers, now I understand he shouldn't be doing that 
but you need to understand that if something happens to him, you're going down. So you might want to get him back inside the wire. <laughs> Billy Ray Moore was the uh, he was the unofficial leader. Uh, so at good battalions, and we had a good battalion. Have mm. a um, they call it like an LP? I think it was LPA, Lieutenant Protection Association or Agency. It's basically like the Lieutenant Underground. And if you have a good battalion XO, he's the unofficial leader gotcha. of that. So. You know, we want to have this big LPA event. Me and Amen like structure the whole thing. We, you know, we have all these people coming, and we invite all the company commanders. And we invite Colonel uh, Christmas, and we invite Major Moore. The only person that showed up outside of the lieutenants was Major Moore. He walked in. He walked right to our keg. He filled the keg up, and then he went to the wall and he did a handstand, <laughs> and he chugged his beer upside down. <laughs> And then he came, he landed his feet down. And he's like, "Come on, let's party!" And I was yes. like, "And he did that because, like, I think he knew how important it was. The lieutenants were close, mm-hmm. and he knew that he wanted the lieutenants to have a guy that wasn't their company commander, that was higher than them, that they could walk into his office and be like, "Hey, sir, I got a question. I got to ask you about." Like, yeah. he and he created that bridge, and, and there was a lot of times where we all used that, mm. and and he was just a man. He, he was really was. Man. I remember what's funny is he didn't just do that. It makes sense that you say he would be that kind of guy and that he was that kind of guy because that's the impression I got shit from the smoke pit. You know, we'd be sitting out, uh, me and Joey, I'm, me and Joey Harms were sitting in the uh, 82 smoke pit after we both got done showering. We, we were both in fights all day. And I met him out there with Charette and uh, we're all sitting there. And that's where we came up with the runner teams that we designed to close on these guys. You know, we mm. sat there like, how can we get them? Like, we need to fix them and send our four fastest dudes in one team to close. So we're sitting there doing that and having that conversation. And, uh, you know, more just kind of morphs into the smoke pit and sits down and lights up a cigar or cigarette, whatever it was. And he's just kind of sitting there real quiet. We're like, oh, hey, hey sir, how you doing? He's no, y'all, y'all carry on. Sounds like you're figuring out how to kill the enemy. And so we just sat there and had our conversation. He smoked two or three, you know, little cigarettes or cigars, whatever yeah. they were with us, and talked combat. And he talked to the Lance Corporal sitting there just the same way he talked to the sergeant, same way he talked to the captains. I mean, he was just that. Um, I think of him almost as the sergeant major from We Were Soldiers, only I yeah. know he was an officer. But he was almost he was, like that was, granddad he, character. Sure he was, yeah, he was prior enlisted. Uh, if I remember, serves me. He's prior enlisted. He had a pr- couple pretty nasty deployments in Iraq. I think he was the company. He was the company that took over like that bottling facility, and then took like ended up being in some hellacious firefights. I'm no um, fighting um, back in I want to say like '04 Iraq, but he was the company commander there. Uh, but he was he was that guy, and you know it's so funny bringing up smoke pit. I've told so many people about the number of cigarettes that I faked smoked in Afghanistan <laughs> was purely because get the word. you go get in a firefight, yeah. you'd come back, and Joey Wright is the one that taught me this, <laughs> right? Was like, that is, I did two things in combat to make sure my, my platoon, I could get a pulse on them, a real pulse. Mm-hmm. Sometimes as an officer, you don't get the real pulse. That's true. There's shit going on, and like, it's covered up and covered up, and you... You know, sometimes that's good, but sometimes you need to know yes, how it's going Most on. of the time, it's for your own good. Yeah. yeah but like, hey, sir, in that on. place. <laughs> we got this, sir. Stay away. Yeah, yeah. Like, just yeah. go over there. So, but I did two things. I cut everyone in my hair, everyone in my platoon, I cut hair. So I cut everyone's hair. So it gave me like 20 minutes every Personal other week connection. of me talking to my dude and being like, are you normal still? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like, are you Yeah, because it was a kinetic fight to where uh-huh. some people went Lord of the Flies and oh, yeah. some people did it really quick. Like... 
you have the warriors, right? And then you have the fighters. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times the fighters can check out fast or they can lose their grip on reality faster. Yep. It seems like they're not there for the same reasons. Yeah. They're still they're still killers. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to go there and they're going to get the job done. But it's like an old epithet for every hundred warrior, yep. or, you know, men on the battlefield, one's a warrior, yeah, uh-huh. ten or, you know. And so, and that's true. I've seen it in every unit that I've been in. In any kinetic fight I've been in, there have been warriors and then there have been great followers that you need you must have that um but most of those guys they're looking to the warriors to make sure shit's okay yeah and then when you get into a fight like that sometimes the warrior's not okay right that one that one is not okay and then when that's then that becomes contagious and so that's Mm -hmm. something that as a leader you need to keep a rein on for sure yeah and uh you know i talk about my book a little bit um the way that other the outside command uh tends to treat people um and it's like parochial right everybody has their own parochial oh, my company's the best this that and the other thing but i think when you get into combat man like uh just the way that like if you would come like if you travel up to hansen and be at the battalion level like you might have just came out of a five five hour uh you know shit storm firefight where you lost a guy and none of them seemingly and this could have been me at the time and it could be a bit of whining too right yeah but it seemed like when i got outside of my company into the upper echelon of around the battalion they just didn't care it's like oh who are you like what do you need like and it's like i'm the reason you're safe up here in your little castle yeah you know and and i know it's built like that but i think that a lot of times that can be devastating to some of the some of the fighters Mm. right the warrior wants to be there He's like, oh, whatever. You're going to say what you're going to say. Just put me back out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some people start doing some thinking when they, like, why don't, like, we just went through shit for these people. And it starts that almost the uh, disestablishment or that disenfranchised uh, feelings. And so I would say if you're out there and you still wear uh, something shiny on your collar, take some notes from this episode for sure because, you know, this is real. It's, and, and you lose control of your guys in country. Um Especially in a kinetic fight, it's a bad time. So yeah. So what's the other thing? The smoking, smoking fake cigarettes man, and cutting hair. I tell you what, man, smoking those cigarettes, and, that, and that's and it was always there was two things. It was so weird, Gunny McCarver, man. So if you got in a firefight and you were coming back to the fob, when you got back to the fob, he would give you a Gatorade. Yeah. Right? That, I don't know why. You fucking hated him for that. Fucking, he kept everything on lock and key. He kept Gatorade he kept everything on lock and key. so long that it lost its color. And it lost it its clear. color. I remember getting in an argument with him on the radio. Yeah. I was like, man, this Gatorade tastes like plastic. And people were like bitching back and forth. And You look then, at like, the flavor and it started off as red, but and it's people, just And then like somebody, somebody, someone in your I'm pretty sure it was your platoon. Someone was like, we'll take the flavorless Gatorade over here. And I'm like, that's not the point. The point is, he's got pallets of fucking Gatorade, that's the point. and like you had to get in a firefight to get one. That is the point. That's how you know how. That's how we got people to go on night patrols. So I didn't give any. No one could have a rip it. The only way to have a rip it is if you were on night post or night patrol. So then all of a sudden, <laughs> the degenerates. Everyone's like, nah, nah, nah. I'm gonna go on the night patrol. I want the rip it. I'm like, Jesus Christ, guys. <laughs> you bribing them with caffeine? <laughs> yeah. No, the worst day ever. The worst day ever about caffeine. We get we, we we literally had just came back from like three days in a patrol base through three weeks out in yeah. a patrol base. Yeah. So we had we had one position on uh, what is that Route six hundred eight. Yep. We had one position on six hundred eight, and we had two down in Treknawa, and we were basically bouncing between the three. Mm-hmm. And uh, we came back from that, and we got back. It was mail. We had mail finally, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, we got mail. And 
Connie's like, you guys want the mail now? And I looked uh, I could feel like yes! 35 <laughs> eyeballs like staring at me like, make the right choice here, sir. <laughs> so like, we get the mail. And I remember I opened up my, my – my wife would send me a box on the first of every month. Yep. And I remember I opened up my box and I immediately closed it because it was like eight monsters. <laughs> just two four-packs of monsters and like some like candy and crap. Ooh. And I opened it and I closed it. And then fucking Chris Fine. <laughs> What you got, sir? He's like, what do you got there, sir? And I was just like, nothing. He's like, sir, is that a monster? And I was like, so I literally opened up my box. I took two monsters out, and I was like, I hate all of you. Because they were all staring at <laughs> Take me. Take it like, all. <laughs> I threw my monsters out on the floor, and they all, like, you know, it was kind of cool. It was like our version of having a beer together in the middle of a deployment. Yeah, yeah. It was like literally drinking a monster, you know. Everybody was, get a sugar high together real quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll celebrate. So. But no, but that's it. But, but like. For the, for the people that are still in, or even just leaders in general, you have to find the, whatever it is, the, the moment or the thing that allows you to break down the barriers of rank and hierarchy mm-hmm. to, to just talk. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like Barber sitting in the smoke pit, fake smoking cigarettes, just to talk, mm-hmm. just to hear what guys had to say. And then sometimes I'd hear stuff and I'd be like, wait, what did you see on patrol? Mm-hmm. Oh, I was like, like, oh yeah, every time we go past his house, this guy's doing. I'm like, oh my god, why, why are you not telling anybody this? Mm-hmm. So we, we literally would, we would get back from patrol, we'd go right to the smoke pit, and we'd debrief, and that's where we'd hold our debrief, yep. Yep. you know. And what it was is those guys didn't feel like, Ugh, I just debrief, like, oh come on, all right, all right, let's, all right, we're done. We didn't, nobody else saw anything. Okay, I'm trying great. to chill. I'm trying to be informal. Now I'm we're tired. in that smoke pit, just bullshitting for 20 minutes, mm-hmm. and the debrief was more. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you always got to find, even in corporate America, right? You got to find your thing that helps you be able to relate to the rest of your team and get good info. Like, well, whether it's going to happy hour or whatever, it doesn't matter. You need you to also let your team write your fit rip. That's one of the things in the Marine Corps I learned was, uh, you know, something I took with me. One of the few little nuggets of truth out of my first leadership element, you know, once I hit the fleet was let them write the fit rep. As long as I do right by my squad. I'm doing right. As yeah. long as they're happy and doing their mission, then I'm clearly doing something right. Because when they're pissed or when I'm losing them or when they're not doing the mission or when they're bucking me or whatever, I'm clearly as a leader, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. There's something that I didn't connect with on that one or two individuals. And like, like you said, I mean, it's a contagious thing. Mm. You, you want to keep control of that. And like, I guess it all, like a lot of my book, some of my book is going to be, um, about this very topic about different leaderships, you know, styles and strategies. And my style was always that I like, kind of like you, I looked at my Marines as my brothers. That's like, the, those are my little brothers or my kids. Almost some of them, like yeah. the young ones is like, um, yeah, I'll bust your ass and, but I'm going to be right here and make sure you're good. I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to put you in a bad situation the best oh, yeah. of my ability and only I get to beat up my little brother. Like, right, right. Anybody, you know, it's yeah. like you don't get no one at school is allowed to beat up my little brother. Only I could beat up my little brother. And you that's know, it's right. Like that mentality. Here, here's the problem with that mentality. And, and it's not a problem for me. I would never change it. But some of the issue is that when you take full ownership of your Marines or of your element, when you lose them, it's harder. Yeah. A lot harder. And so being that I, I'm an empath too, like I, I can feel, I feel people's pain and I, like I'm an emotional kind of a fellow. Mm. And so when that, that wasn't going to work for me. Like I couldn't, I couldn't invest fully into my Marines unless I took complete ownership of they are me, I am them kind yep. of ownership. And, you know, then there's other styles of, owner, uh, you know, of leadership where you don't take ownership. And it's easier if you're not an 0311 squad leader 
and you're, uh, let's say you're a machine gunner, for example, and you've got a couple machine gun uh, teams in your squad, and you're a squad leader for machine guns. Well, generally what happens, if it's not a huge clearing operation, that squad leader is going to task out one team to this squad and yeah. one team to this squad and either stay in the rear and run radios or they're going to go with one of those two teams, right? And so it's a, I think when you have that kind of um, dynamic set up, it's easier for you to not take full ownership of them because really it'd be like your cousin instead of your yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. Your cousin's going with that, you know, that group. instead. And, and, and it's not like you don't care about them, but it's – you know, it's just a little bit different. Yeah, and good companies try to assign the same guys to the same platoon every time. So it's almost like, like I know our machine gunners, our mortarmen, like that we had to us, that we had attached to us, were the same guys every time. Mm-hmm. And they be, they were they were more aligned with being members of third platoon mm-hmm. than they were being aligned with being members of weapons. Platoon. And that's what you want. Yeah, that's what you want for sure. Um, one of my buddies, well, I'll leave him unnamed for now, but he's a machine gun. He was machine gun squad leader and. Early in his career, he took some devastating blows to very close friends of him, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, as a friend and as a bystander, I could see the leadership mentality change over because he was never going to let that happen again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then it became a gear thing, only more than a gear thing, right? These are my gear. These are my guys. I'm there and, and I'm going to be with them in every fight that I'm with them in. But sometimes they're not going to be with me, and so I need to be able to check that off and trust the people that I'm giving them to, yeah. that kind of thing. And I think because of that transition, you know, five years, six years, seven years later after his bad one, and then we go into Marja, uh, it became a different thing. You know, it, it became something that he can compartmentalize better, I think. Mm. And, um, and so there's pros and cons of these things, right? Uh, I think a big pro yep. is that when something tra- catastrophic happens, um, you're able to maybe manage it a little bit better. A little bit. Yeah. You know, um, and maybe not. Maybe he's just good at that. You know, the the specific couple of people I'm talking about that take that style. But there's definitely different different strokes for different folks. But there is a a pretty standard form that works that we all kind of adopt in the Marine Corps. The Marine Corps makes you start leading so early before you're even a leader, which I like that. But in corporate America, you want to something so crazy. So, like, we'll have an engineering manager. Corporate mm-hmm. America that has 40 direct reports. 30 what? 40 direct reports. Oh, okay. I'm like, how do you have 40 direct reports? You ain't mentoring shit. Yeah. You're not mentoring any of these people. Mm-hmm. I'm like, the Marine Corps has the greatest rule in the world. You can't be in charge of more than about five people. Mm-hmm. Right? So, like, even when you're a platoon commander, right, you're really in charge of three. You're responsible for, you know, 40. But you have but three tools. You got three guys that you're really in charge of. If mm-hmm. you want to if you want to count your staff sergeant as your fourth, okay. Mm-hmm. Right? You have four guys that you're truly leading in charge of. You're a squad leader. You got three team leaders. You're a team leader. You got three Marines, right? Mm-hmm. Like so we're constantly developing at, at as you grow in the organization, you're constantly being developed. In corporate America, people will be 42 years old before they're ever in charge of somebody. Mm-hmm. It's wild. And mm-hmm. it's like, you know, because they're not structured like that. And I, I push back all the time, even today. I'm like, guys, an engineering manager can't have 40 people. What that means is nobody on our team is actually getting developed right now. Right. He, he's supposed to be doing, you know, the end of year assessments 
Those are all pencil whips, guys. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, you know why everyone got exactly a 3% raise? Because he had no time to dive into it and look into it like, hey, this guy actually deserves a 3.5% raise. And you deserve a 1% raise. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to take your percentage and I'm actually going to put it over here because I know these guys so well. Well, and if they would do that, because that would be incentive-based pay. Yeah. And corporate America doesn't do that on a large scale incentive-based pay. No, a lot of their incentives are for the top five people of the company and they get it at the end of the year as a big, huge bonus. But it's yeah. like... If you did talent based, um, uh, if you did talent based job assigning within your organization, and then combined incentive based uh, incentive based systems in place to say, okay, well, if you just do enough to get by, well, then you're just going to get this much money. But if you are constantly on top of it, developing your team, moving forward, being creative going above and beyond well then you're going to get a different yeah and when you do that the cream rises to the top and those other people flake off so it's so crazy i think i think the the number one reason i mean it's the reason i got the marine corps Mm. uh the number one reason the guys got marine corps is that there's there's no fast track Mm -hmm. especially in the officer world the officer world i mean jeez christ we never we don't promote a single soul out of the below zone i think they just started trying to promote people out of the below zone like a couple years ago in the marine corps but like Let's face it. If you're an officer in the Marine Corps and you don't get a DUI, you're going to be a lieutenant colonel. And you're going to get promoted at the exact same pace of everybody based upon your rank at TBS. So it's like, what is the incentive to, to get the best and the brightest? Nothing. They don't really do a true screen of you unless you're going to a certain billet, mm-hmm. certain school, right? Or you're getting selected for battalion command. Mm-hmm. But everybody gets company command. <laughs> yeah. Like, everybody goes back to the fleet and becomes a battalion XO if you're still in. You know, like, and then it's like, finally, like, all right, now that you're all lieutenant colonels, I'm going to see who's actually good. Let's have a command screening. And there's no fast track. You go, mm-hmm. look, look at a guy like E-Man. Like, should have been. Like, geez, I mean, you should be company, you should already been a battalion commander. Yeah, you know, it's like it's like what do you like? It's 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 but there's no there's no path for that. Mm-hmm. So I think what happens is you get these these heavy hitters, these dudes, and they get frustrated with it. And that's yep. what I was. I was just 100%. frustrated with it. I was like, what am I doing? Like I'm getting promoted along with like Joe Schmo, uh, you know, captain. I'm like, you're terrible. Like mm-hmm. you should never lead again. And mm-hmm. we're both going to pick up major. You're actually going to pick up major the month before me because your pay entry base date. Like what? Because you went to Texas A and M ROTC. Like what? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that's one of the big things, like where, I, in the in the Marine Corps at least, that that that's tough. But but also, like I try not to let that bleed over to corporate America. If well, you're, it's if you're in, awesome it's in, in corp- corporate America for sure. It is, but it isn't. Like if you're if you have a good team, like I got a good team in corporate America that I, I work with really good people. If you're if you're a really good person, we're gonna figure out how to get you promoted. We're gonna figure out how to get you paid correctly. Yep. Like we're gonna push for that. And it's funny because then like you. Teams that run like that, that run off performance, have the best retention. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. Because those absolutely. guys know, like, if I put my work in, I'm getting promoted, I'm going to get paid. And if I don't put my work in, guess what? You're going to get put on, we call it a pip. It's basically like, you know, like strike one. Strike one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm nip lock you? Yeah. Pip but no, but, but, but that's, that's the part of the Marine Corps, I think, that, that, that's hurting right now where retention is. There's no path. Well, I think retention is an issue, and I, I think it may become a bit more of an issue if they don't figure out what they're doing. Um, 
I like what they're doing. I was just talking to uh, a, a gunnery sergeant, James Finney. He was he was on a couple couple episodes ago, and very red end guy, very good marine, poster child, damn near, um, and just got uh, selected on the gunners list. So he's going to be undertaking that whole schooling and, yep. and everything that's involved. But uh, uh, he is part of the infantry battalion experience. IBX, I guess they're calling it, mm-hmm. or uh, experiment, not experience, experiment, where they're transitioning to platoon leaders are now gunnies, squad leaders are now staff sergeants, team leaders are now sergeants, and it's uh, like I love the idea of that. Don't get me wrong. If you promote people, yeah, how do you retain them? So he said, uh, which I agree with, that his idea was then you have retention bonuses, but they're paid at gunny for the infantry and then you have these guys that were going to stay anyway you give them a little extra bread they're going to do your op four training and they're going to go back and they're going to be a platoon leader again and like maybe like some staff sergeants be pissed off that they have to go back and do their thing but any staff sergeant in the infantry that's worth his salt for real for real he wants to go back and lead a squad that is the best place to be is leading the squad in my opinion and if you're in the regular infantry if you're in soft you can operate all the way up to CW3 if you want yeah. to. I mean, it doesn't matter. You can stay in a team. But for us, the you start going away from the Marines and away from the kinetic fight at at Staff Sergeant. You're going up. and yeah. then at Gunny, I'd be you interested take- to see if that takes off. Because, if, because what that really does from the Marine Corps perspective is I don't know that we have the budget. I truly don't. I mean, it's do we have? But, like, you know, it's like, it's like do we have the budget to – Make every many. make every squad leader a staff sergeant. Make every and I think that like the idea is good because then if you take you know you take somebody like a Joey Harms at Gunny and he's still a platoon leader and he's still operating, or you take him at staff sergeant and he's still running a squad. I mean, you're talking about deadly freaking squads, and then mm-hmm. you just got nothing but a bunch of corporals that are just straight pipe hitters, man. And all they got to do yeah. is hit them. Here's the question: What do you do with the PFCs, privates, and lance corporals while that's happening? They're still on the team. I mean, it's still on the team. See, like, I mean, I know they're still there, but you're going to have. I don't know. PFC, I think. I think PFC, the first generation. At, at the end of the day, be... like, with the amount of training people need, PFC and an infantry battalion doesn't even exist. Mm-hmm. Let's face it; it shouldn't exist. Mm-hmm. I should never have a PFC check-in. No, maybe. Yeah, like you know, Lance like, Corporal and above, probably. Like, <laughs> like there's there's a there, there's more and more and more and more and more that they're asking of the Marine Corps, right? And and like. And I like the idea of the of the gunny platoon leader and the staff sergeant because, like, let's face it, like, look look how we fought. Even mm-hmm. how we fought. The reason we were successful, and I tell people this all the time, they, they off-ramped us from Iraq. So we had an entire battalion. We kept training and kept training and kept training. And they were waiting for what was our going to be a deployment. What's your deployment? What's your deployment? Mm-hmm. And then we were literally at the, at the, at the point. Where they said, all right, we're off-ramping you from Iraq. You guys aren't going to Iraq. You're going to keep training for a couple months. And we were all praying, like, like you know, being naive. Like, oh, we hope we get Afghanistan. We're all praying to get Afghanistan. And then Obama approves the surge, and we go. Mm-hmm. But in reality, I was a platoon commander training my platoon for two years before we left. Awesome. Yeah, and I, ha- and, and I deploy with three sergeant squad leaders, eight of my nine team leaders are corporals. Like, that's... Wait, it should have... That's the way it should have been at and that time. I, right? I tell people all the time, you know, taking a KAA and, and not having a KAA, having wounded, not having wounded, some of it's luck, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a big reason why my platoon, you know, didn't take a KIA um, and then 2-9 that was literally ripped with me had like six. Yep. 
you well, know, they, they, or six, they, like, got, they got devastated. They had like when two, they, left. And they had two Marines that got killed, and I think they had uh, like four A and A in the first like two months, mm-hmm. and it had a lot to do with the fact that none of their squad leaders were were, were sergeants. They were green. They, they were. They, green. were, they, were, they, they were even if they were sergeants. One of mine was a sergeant that ripped that I ripped out, or he ripped me out. Yeah. Uh, and it was uh, it was our first right seat patrol. Mm-hmm. And it was me. That's that's the talk I was talking about earlier. Yeah. That me and him had. That you had the same talk with your sergeants, because we were the day prior or two days prior to that. We left with uh, the company main element after you know the rip, and and we were out at a TCP two on six oh eight, and I had given the guy a grid coordinate. I said, hey, let's make a patrol to here. This is a patrol base that I use. You know, once a month or so to kind of overwatch this field. They'll come pull weapons out of it and mess, and uh, gave it to him. So. At this point, he'd already been ripping with me left seat. I was in the left seat. And now I'm in the right seat. So she's already been on patrol with me. Yeah, I've yeah, already yeah. took him places. You're like a coyote at that point. I'm yeah. grading you. Let's see how we do. Well, it's not even grading. It's just like, <laughs> hey, dude, your, your, your battalion only wanted two weeks. Uh, we're at the end of that. It's Now it's your show, and we're tagging along. Um, I got you, but make your mission. So he makes the mission. We leave, and you know, me and E-Man had the, uh, hey, if this goes, you know, stay close low fast no yeah, let's yeah, yeah. do what we can do kind of conversation and uh and we push out where the guy starts coming into um i don't remember the little village uh you remember when um guy from my platoon shot the holstein cow and they put it right by our tcp charges a bunch of money for it you might not know mm. breland or one of my boots uh boots up front was had got charged by this full-size holstein cow and he put it down right well that village no longer liked us that was the milk for them and milk for the two calves they were raising for meat and all kinds it was a big problem and he starts swerving into there it's like 500 meters before he's supposed to start swerving in there because it's not the right building right and i'm like hey hey, hey." anyway long story short we have to take a long security hole he has to reconsult his map he put the wrong grid in his gps like all this stuff and we're outside the fucking wire you know like um come on dude like i know they're not shooting right now but we just did a huge five-day campaign where we killed a lot of them and they start they, they called a ceasefire this ain't normal. You do yeah, this yeah. when we leave, they're gonna they're gonna smoke you. Long story short, or longer, we leave there. Finally, get him to the right place, and so now I can see the op, and we're cruising up. I look at LT, you know, he's looking at me like with them wide eyes, kind of looking up through his brows yeah. like he does, <laughs> yeah. you know, just kind of looking at me. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, and his first team just files straight in, no near side cordon, no far side cordon, no let. They just thought, well, nobody's here. Uh, he said it was going to be clear. It was last month, so we're just going to cruise in. And, I, and I'm like dying. I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm just waiting for the shots to pop off because they just one by one slinkied in there with their, not, you know, with their guns down. And, and I'm watching. I'm like, sir, we, we got to get the hell out of here. Like, this is bad times coming. So we're in the, we're in the fucking compound. I'm sitting there for a minute. And I'm like, hey, Sergeant Soto, now would be a great time to fire up like a loom mission. Pop your cherry on it. Get the loom mission called. You'll see what, you know, we'll test your gun line back at, you know, at a five points and we'll be good. 38 minutes later, a round came. 38 minutes after he called his, his original call for fire, his adjust fire. And uh, it only came after I grabbed the hook once and LT took the hook from me to talk to their gun line and their COC because they were telling us to call to the gun line at the OPs with the 60s because they weren't, they, they, they weren't all set up yet. And it's like, no, you don't under-fucking-stand. This ain't... This ain't CAX, motherfucker. This is real combat, yeah. and I need loom over this fucking field right now. <laughs> Actually, I needed it 38 minutes ago, and then LT grabbed the hook and said, hey, th- this, 
this is Lieutenant Emmanuel. Get them fucking rounds in the air now. Click. <laughs> like, that's it. Yeah. And then, boom, they would fire. But it's like, that's, I'm glad I did that with him, you know, because he needed that. That didn't need to happen when he was under fire. That would have no, been way that, worse. That, that's, the, that's the inexperienced side of it. Like, yep. where, you know, the Marine Corps has got to decide. Like, I think the Marine Corps, I think if you're going to go to he that He was construct, a sergeant, though. Yeah, How are you a sergeant that... Oh yeah, well, there's a whole lot to unpack there. That's certain. what I'm saying. But like, I think at the Marine Corps, I think the, I think the, the advancement in rank at those positions would be smarter. And if the Marine Corps comes back and says, "Ah, oh, we don't have budget to do that," I'd be like, "Get rid of a damn battalion. Like, just get rid of a battalion, and 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 make it so you can use that funding and have people, you know, the right reasons because you need it." Um, we were we were we were we were listening. We were spoiled. We had you know we had. We were long time to to train and and get ready to fight and then you know in the fight i mean listen i think that one of my only actual interactions with you in a combat situation and i, I wonder if you even remember this um, so eaglin i don't know if you remember I know Corporal eaglin, eaglin mm-hmm. right so he's on g boss one day and we see these dudes digging in the road and it's funny because oh, like yeah. every I, once I in exactly a while what you're talking every about. once taunt. in a while people will literally send me the clip Send me the video clip of the secret G-Boss footage yeah, yeah. that's all over the world now. Oh, yeah. Of when I dropped the hellfire on those two dudes on the road. Yep. And I remember <laughs> they sent your squad out there to do the, uh, like, basically damage BBA. assessment. BBA, yep. And I was, on the <laughs> I was on the radio with you, and I was like, hey, you were, were you first squad? Second. Second? Mm-hmm. And I was, like, let me, I was just like, let me talk to, like, whatever. It was like. Two, 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 two actual. Whatever, something. yeah. And uh, and you're like, hey, hold. And I was like, hey, hold. And I was like, no, two, two. Like we never worked it. I'm like, no, two, two actual. Don't you don't hey hold me. <laughs> like, I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, sir. I'm digging the dirt a little bit. I want to see if this IED is still there. I'm like, you were like playing with. I was like, stop playing with the IED. What That's not how I remember it. I'm like, why are you playing with this? Are you poking with a stick? What are you doing no, right now? I had EOD with me. I had EOD with me. First of all, I was on React and I was chilling and I was in the air conditioning and I was happy. And six hits me up and he's like, hey, double time, get your squad to the east, you know, to the south exit. We got guys on taunt. You need to handle them. So I get all the way down there and now I'm dripping sweat i run pccs pcis and get my kid on in like two minutes and then make the run down there to the gate as soon as i get to the gate he's like hey stud get to get to the coc double time i'm like fuck because it's like a couple hundred meters oh, from, yeah. you know it's we, not that, like it that, was right next camp, door five points camp was big it was nice it was big and it was like it was stupid like we were the camp was so big but then we had all the birthing in one area i was i always say to myself like spread them out a little we are a good we are a mortar shot from like a mass cas here <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah yeah so I, I'm like, fuck this. I drop my kit, my Kevlar, and I take off sprinting up to the COC. And I come in there, and it's so cold it takes my breath away. And uh, and uh, Captain Biggers is standing there with a uh, coffee. And he just hands it to me with a smile. He's like, watch this shit. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. He's like, we got ISR. We got a Predator with Hellfires. And I watched it on that big 80-inch 80, 80 TV, dude, kaboom. And they run into each other. And then yeah, they, that's the best part. When they hear it and they crash into each other. Oh, it was beautiful. That one dude flew in the canal. I ended up getting, um, when I got up there, the guy that flew into the canal, it blew him out of his shirt, and the last two buttons were still buttoned. His shirt is sitting in the middle of the road. He got blown on fire into the canal, and he had a foreign fighter card in his damn front breast pocket of his shirt that yeah. had postune on one side and like syrian yeah. dialect on the other side or uh you know language on the other side for their handlers to put them in where they needed to be and i thought that was pretty crazy but we all 
when that happened, assumed, even in the COC, that the IED sympathetically detonated. Yeah, yeah. So then when I got up there, I got to looking around. I'm like, oh, shit, that jug is still intact. And then somebody, I'm not saying it was you, but somebody at COC said, hey, are you sure it's intact? Because that was a hellfire. And I'm like, I don't know. I can go up and dig around a little bit and make sure that it's not just a piece of the jug. I don't want to throw biggers under the bus. but Then uh, then you came on and like, hey, no, uh, what what the f- E-Man's going to kill me if you, he hey, knows please that stop, I'm. Please stop, <laughs> please stop poking the bomb with a stick. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, and then I had I had uh, the two, Steph Sartin EOD guys, Steph Sartin Butterfield and Stenard were with me. And if you remember on Taunt right there, there was only that one house that was yeah, close, yeah, yeah, yeah. like to cover. And so we were like, hey, we can't give you a far side cordon, but what do you want us to do? Because this is the only cover, and that's the 12-foot canal, and this, you know. And he's like, I don't know, I guess we're just going to hunker up real close together behind this one compound wall. And that thing went off, dude, and I've only heard one explosion louder. Yeah. It was uh, in CACs when they do the Bangalores. Have you ever been next to the Bangalores? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When it's like they pick the boulders they, up they, off the ground. They use all the Bangalore breach, like the one piece of constantine or wire yep. just to say they did it <laughs> yeah. yeah breach yeah but that explosion is the only explosion that was louder than that one because they did they set their charge and then they sent sympathetically detonated and it was much bigger than what we thought it that would was be. such an eye-opening day because we've been so many firefights and i was like man like i know we hit guys like yeah. i know we killed a couple guys i'm like where the hell is everybody and then i'm like you know you have like self like you like start questioning yourself like oh I'm like, dude i'm like man maybe we suck at shooting like maybe we just suck. Maybe we think we're hitting stuff and we just miss everything. But then that was the first time we ever got to see their Kazovac drill. With the and wheelbarrows they, they and They threw shit. that dude in the wheelbarrow and they were gone. Yep. And they hit like three different compounds. And after those three different compounds, then that dude was in a van and he was gone. Oh. And we followed that we followed that van all the way up to Lashkar Took yeah. And I was just like, oh, well. Well, what's crazy this is, is we don't find the psychological side of it is like, I don't know if the Taliban was... Um, if they were trying to run psyops by doing this, uh, but if they were spot on, because oh, there yeah. were so many people, I remember plugging people and having them crawl into their weapon and hit them three or four more times, pop, 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 and then they go lifeless, right? And they're and just then laying they're there, and you're watching them, and then finally you're able to maneuver to get up there and get the weapons, do your BDA or whatever, and they're, it's not that they're gone, they're gone, the fucking blood is gone, the guns, the linkage, the brass, yeah. it's all fucking gone, all gone, and you get up there going. I know, like, I had to explain I this. know he was laying right fucking here. I know, I had to explain to Corey Clister one day. He's like, I thought you said you had three enemy KA. I'm like, yeah, we did. I'm like, I don't know where they are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I promise you, we hit them, they died. We saw them die. I'm yeah. like, but now we're here and there's nothing. I'm like, I see blood. Yeah. I'm like, we're following the blood trail, but like, it was all gone. Like yeah, you said, they would, like, all they of would, it. They would wash, like, the, the sand in the floor out. They would mm-hmm. pick up the links from the PKMs. Like, we know that gun fired there. You can see the fucking... Um, carbon on the sand wall on the mud hut yeah, wall yeah, yeah. right where they were firing and uh you get up there and there's nothing and you're like i mean i remember so many times that i'd walk in there wouldn't like charrette would always <laughs> he sucks that he's not here right now but charrette would just look at me and be like <laughs> just like that and i'm like don't don't even he's like ah, you could see where they were <laughs> and i'm like no, uh, so you see the one second, little wheel from the wheelbarrow, you know, and the yeah. two little legs sit down where it's set. Oh man! On our second appointment, Colonel Schmidt was really, really conscious about medevacs. Mm. So, like, if we took a wounded, right, and, and on our second appointment, most time we took wounded it was an A and A, because let's face it, like I tell people this all the time, like, they don't understand when you have inexperienced people merged in with an experienced squad, and the enemy starts shooting. Everybody that's experienced knows how to take cover. They do the right thing. They know how to get down there to take cover. 
you look to your left and it's like Mohammed, you're standing up shooting your PKM. Like, I love your confidence. Maybe get behind cover and do the same. Good thing. initiative, bad yeah. judgment. <laughs> so it's like, but but he used to always be like, hey, if we can hold off on the Kazakh, don't call it in. Because all you're doing is signaling to the Taliban. That they got you, somebody. Hey, you got us. Look, you hit one. See, we mm-hmm. brought a whole helicopter. Good job. You got one. Like, brought a whole, mm-hmm. And he had such a good point about it. That's smart. Like, and, he, and he would really push the envelope on, like, you know, what's the Kazakh? No, I, I know he's shot. And he got in a big, huge fight one day with RCT. We had A&A get shot. He's in the leg. He's fine. Like, it's a through and through. He's hit nothing. Like, it's honestly, it's glorified routine Kazakh at this point. Mm-hmm. And they were on to send. We're like, no, no, no. We can't send it. And I get it if you're from morals clipped or something, yeah, man. You got, but if, yeah, you're, if, if you're if you're managed, an urgent if you're an urgent Kazakh, got it. But like if you can hold off and not let them know that they were successful in their ambush, you know that was an important part you of, know, the, of the of the game for him. It's smart. To, it, it, I like that you brought that up because when Vukolo got hit on Marja one, he got hit on the 14th, and it was a through and through through the shoulder. And the only thing I was thinking as a as a leader as that's my dude and he's bleeding out of his mm-hmm. body right now was I wanted him I wanted him gone. I wanted him to the next echelon of care as quickly as I could. And I purposefully put urgent surgical and they sent an escorted uh Pedro out to get her dust yeah. off out to get him. And right Staff Sergeant Wright uh, you know, debriefed me days later after or maybe, you know, hours later that night maybe or something like that. In the next couple of days he's like, Hey, you know he wasn't urgent surgical and you know, the fucked up part of me was like, yeah, I know. But guess what? He's safe. And then the other side of me is like, yeah, but somebody else could have been urgent surgical and needed that plane more. Or that helicopter. Like you bring him in a far fight. I remember. Right. And so I fucked up doing that, but that's you, a good learning point. You know, people don't know about. So third platoon, like the first few days of, of Marja, right? After we took our little initial objective, which we thought was going to be like this, like on the map, it was like, oh God, this looks like, you know this super like tight little urban spot and we we're like mm-hmm. this is gonna be ugly mm-hmm. and we killed like four dogs <laughs> like clearing it like you guys are sitting over the road uh which also didn't mean i always tough brings up the e-man like i'm like which you part? guys like we're at. like um so you know like right when we landed right oh, when we the, land, in the beginning right, yeah, right, yeah. like day one we land and my 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 platoon clears that little like we thought it was going to be this dense, urban, like, door-to-door. What? Talking about Shinny Wall. Yeah, I think yeah. maybe that's what we, So, but we killed, like, four dogs. And at the end of it, I remember sitting next to Shane Yoon, uh, one of my team leaders, and he, he like, looked at me. He's like, all I wanted was a freaking Fallujah. And I'm like, yeah, man, me too. Like, because, like, it was, like, no contact. We're like, this sucks. Yeah. And you guys were, like, over the, over the road. We'd already killed fucking. And I'm like, no, this is before we got any contact. You guys were already over the road. And then, like, an hour later... Okay. You guys took contact. Okay. And we were literally chilling in our makeshift, like, company outposts, like, <laughs> this deployment sucks. We were promised, like, you know. They said they then, would be here. <laughs> and I think the enemy was finally like, all right, I think we know where all the Marines are. We're Is gonna, there any more coming? Like, no. we're going we're gonna <laughs> to attack now. And then you guys took that first contact. Then we get in contact down, like, yep. in south. And that was Harms' squad, wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. And then, and then the next, that was the day that we dropped the. Uh, they, somebody called the wrong. No, well, somebody called the the bomb in, and I'll leave the the officer anonymous. Call the funny strike. Funny how in. that happens multiple times. S- s- call the strike in, and it landed so next, so close to Harms. Uh, literally, an entire wall fell on him and like two other guys. Because uh, it was so close. Yeah. A little danger close mission. Yeah, a little bit. We're aiming at a different compound. Get some. Um, My question is, how does that fuck up? Because a vector dagger shot's 10-digit grid, which is three feet. Yeah. And when I fired the HIMAR on the 14th, it landed 300 meters south of my three feet. 
Is it uh, Dagger heard, Dagger Grid? Yeah, I'll leave. Bloody, we leave it, we'll, no, I'll we'll leave, leave it off of I'll here leave because bloody, I'll leave Bloody Valentine's Day alone. But uh, we'll leave it off of here because I honestly don't know. And if I knew, if I knew who fucked up, I would already talk to him because mm-hmm. that was something that I struggled with for a while. Yeah, you know, I know. I know exactly how that went down. Yeah, I'll tell you so, when we get off the air here. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no. So so the next day, you guys start clearing. Your, you guys start doing your actual mission. Yeah, we had to move up through Shinny Wall. Go through all that, that first night, and all the way up. across, and then you guys start heading towards that bridge, and like you got into that nasty fight going to get to the bridge. Mm-hmm. So we're just all by ourselves. At one point in time, what were you doing when we were doing that? We were supposed to just hold this position, but we you couldn't. Were, you we, were at the company command. We weren't. We like the company command was above us, like in that when we were in those compounds just below, like the yeah. first row of green. Like if you look at a map, it's a triangle. We're that first row of green comes. So. We're supposed to be there, but we can't because we're getting attacked. Mm. We have to push towards them because we're just taking shots at this point. Mm. So we start clearing. You guys are literally fire like in a firefight. I got we're we got our own sixties shooting for us, and then all of a sudden on the radio, I hear the company commander got shot in the head, and I'm like, that was next to me, bro. That was the, so the Afghan commander. Nobody told us in third <laughs> platoon that it was the Afghan commander. That's bad. So I literally think in my head. Bigger's just like, the, like damn. <laughs> I'm like, and then and then like here I am like a stupid like young officer like, this is what they talked about at TBS. Company commander's dead. Commander's intent. Follow the commander's intent. So we fought for three days, Ryan, and I thought Captain Biggers was medevaced. Three <laughs> days. You didn't call and ask like, hey, is this for real? No, literally, because you guys were do you guys were fighting the one way to bridge. So like, I didn't talk to them. Then finally, they were like, a three actual standby for six. And so Chris, who's who's six now? So, so I'm thinking Corey Calistra yeah. is gonna come over the radio, and it was Biggers, and I was like, "Didn't you get shot in the face and get medevaced?" And he's like, "No." He's like, "That's Afghan, all set, commander." And I was like, "We thought you were dead this whole time. <laughs> we mourned you, sir. Yeah, we, we literally mourned you. We've been fighting for three days by ourselves, clearing you. our clearing our own. Like I would be like, hey, I would, I would call Durbin, who was." Old Rain Man, crazy Durbin, man. He's a he's a wild card. Durbin but, inserted with me, dude. Durbin is a, one of the weirdest guys in the world, but I love that motherfucker. Um, he's 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 cut from a different cloth for sure, but he's a good dude. I remember he told me over the radio, like halfway into the first day, because Durbin was supposed to clear sixties. He told, he told me where he's like he said, "Hey, I don't got time for this. Clear your own shit." <laughs> Because you guys are fighting. So I was like, I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, I don't 60s, get to, shoot. I'm well, like, we were in it with Neff, too. So everybody but you was involved <laughs> in that whole. In her yeah. own little world, fighting her own little fight. And then, like, every once in a while, Biggers would, like, after that day, he'd be like, hey, we, they made us push all the way south until we linked up with 1-6. And then yep. 1-6 did that gun run on us. No, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, so I pop a Red Star cluster between Dash 1 and Dash 2. Like, there's so... It's us! No, literally. So, uh, my buddy Pachoni... This was a fixed-wing gun run? No, uh, Cobras. Oh, okay. So, Pachoni, if you're on here, I'm talking about that time you almost killed me. Uh, So, Pachoni calls in uh, a a gun run Mm -hmm. on my unit. But luckily, the Cobra shoots the field, this trench, like 25 yards south of us. Mm -hmm. I think maybe he thought we were in the trench. So, he shoots this trench... And I literally pull out this Red Star cluster and pop it between Dash 1 and Dash 2. And then, like, moments later, like, 1-6 had an MATV come up the road. And I was like, hey, uh, we linked up with 1-6. I'm coming back. <laughs> they're going to kill I'm, me. Like, I'm they're going to kill my platoon <laughs> if I stay here any longer. I remember the day you were just talking about when right before the ANA commander got shot in the face, we were kind of, like, getting set, getting ready to do our, our fix and flanks. We were just going to do an yeah. action right on them. 
and I was the support by fire element. And uh, from our little birthing building that we took over, the place I wanted to fight with my squad was like 50 meters outside of that. But it was like a perfect fucking waist-high hall wall, yeah. just a little chip wall that you could get in a nice kneeling position behind and be like 200 yeah. meters, 300 meters direct front, right? And uh, right before all that happened, we, we weren't in contact yet, and it was early. And then we got into contact. Well, I had to shit. I had shit and like I hadn't shit the whole time. And this is like day three or four or yeah. something like that, right? Day three maybe or two, three. And uh I was like, yo Matt, I gotta shit. He's like, I got it. So he's got the guns and you know, it was they were getting after it. And so I'm trying to shit. Well, right when I was trying to shit was when the Cobra came in, that was called <laughs> that I didn't know about. E man called a Cobra in and I never operated with Cobra before. So I didn't know they had the heads up display. So the the bird can be facing me and if the pilot looks over here at the bunker, that's what shoots at. I didn't know that. So as he's coming like this and opens up on the gal, I'm on a, a two forty ammo uh crate shitting. <laughs> yeah, I took the fucking cases, the rounds out and just spread cheeks and uh it's just full full bow evacuation. I thought we were smoked because it was like me here and then my whole line of guys was going down that way and they're all firing. And here he goes, Bah and I just remember doing this like, oh God. And I looked up and the little gun was swinging, hitting the, you know, it's like this, swinging underneath yeah. it, hitting the bunker. And I, I just remember thinking, I'm, I'm, I really thought somebody on my own side was about to kill my whole squad. Yeah, I remember I saw you, man, and like after that, after you guys finally got the building and like we did that handoff with you guys at, at Hanson. You guys were staying at Hanson, which would become Hanson, uh, mm-hmm. you know, wherever that little point was. Camp Allen. Yeah. And then and then we were going, you know, Neff's platoon, north side of the road, us south side, we were going to clear to five points. Yeah. And I remember seeing uh, E Man, and he's like, ah, like, yeah, like, he's like, yeah. He's like, I didn't, never thought to myself, because, like, in training, you know, things are a little different. And I guess they brought ba- Bacchus, uh, uh, the arrow, or no, the fact, brought the Cobras over them, and they just dropped all the lead. They did. All on top of you guys. And I was like, like uh, I was like, ooh, I never thought about that in training. <laughs> bro, it was like Black Hawk Down when the little mini birds come in with their guns. And like, ah, I'm burning, I'm burning. Yeah. That's literally what happened. Yeah. The guys were like, what the fuck? Thank you. <laughs> you know, like we like it. Yeah, that was that was a wild day, for sure. All right. Well, uh, I think that's a lot of Marja. What was um, what was the biggest thing you took away from Marja? Like as a person, as a man. Yeah. Good I, or bad. I think I think the biggest thing I took away is that like, there's nothing else in my life at this point that's ever gonna be that serious. Mm. Like, you know, I, I see these people in corporate America, they lose their goddamn minds over stupid shit. Mm-hmm. Like, what, what, what quarter are we claiming revenue? When are we booking this order? We got to grow the business 10%. All right, we're trying to grow the business 10%. There's a bunch of things that have to happen and have that happen. Like, or like we're building a locomotive. So it's like, all right, uh, yeah, we got to build this locomotive. And everyone's super stressed out. And I'm just like, guys, the locomotive isn't going to blow up today. Yeah, they're not trying to like, kill you. They, we're fine. Like, mm-hmm. there's literally, there's there's stress in everyone's life. For sure. Right? But there's never going to be a moment where I'm like, I'm worried about myself. I'm worried about this platoon. And I'm not worried about you guys be, succeed. I'm worried about you living. Mm. You know, it's like, it's a, I, think, I think that's one of the, the strongest parts of being a veteran is, especially if you, were in a, if, you, if you were, what do you call it, fortunate or unfortunate, to be in a super kinetic fight is there's nothing else. Mm-hmm. Nothing else will ever be that level of stress and anxiety. So, like, a lot of times I feel like in life, like, I'm ready for anything. 
Hmm. Like I'll go, I'll go, I'll go take on any challenge in corporate America they throw at me because I'm like, nothing you throw at me is going to be harder than leading 80 guys in combat when half of them don't speak the same language as me, and I have, n- I trained with them for like three days. <laughs> Playing charades to get them yeah. to do shit. Yeah. Um, and like and like, you know, and it's it's like it's like I'm sorry, like nothing you're gonna no task you give me is ever gonna be that hard. And I think there's a there's a there's a double edged sword to that. Because a lot of Marines look at it and it's like nothing in my life will ever be that fulfilling. And there's there is a little bit of a I think there's a little bit of a celebrity status, hmm. right? Like our unit, for instance, right? New York Times is with us. We didn't. We weren't allowed to talk to anybody for like wasn't it like seven days or so before we inserted. Remember, we got put in that dark period. Yeah. It was basically like River City for forever, mm-hmm. and no one got talked to, to their homes and family. Well, like I said, like my whole family's from New York, so on the cover of the New York Times, so my parents found out I was in combat. Mm-hmm. The cover of the New York Times, Chris Chivers was with my platoon to start, and the cover of the New York Times is like basically Marines land in Marja, and there's a whole bunch of quotes from me. Mm-hmm. And my aunt Linda called my mom. Was like, hey, don't read the paper today. Yeah, like you don't want to read the paper today. Yeah, because like you know, and that's and that's, you know, that's just. I but, told but, my but, wife not to look but, at it when we left. When they said when they found out it was Marja, I'm like, yeah, ah, no news is good news. It's gonna be a rough one. Don't don't follow the paper. But and I think what that she celebrity. Do, she, Sorry, she followed no. She followed all of it. She had yeah. anything with three six kilo company or second platoon was tagged to her email. Yeah. I'm like, ah. so but, my family found out. Whenever Shivers put his yeah. first video and his first articles out, all that started going around. So, so, but I think that, so me and Eman had this conversation a while back. The celebrity status that you have, right, I think plays a significant role in the PTSD, mm. right? Because not only do you go from this, this world where you're on this team and, you're, and everything you do is by a team, 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 team. And you're the celebrity status. You come home to this homecoming where it's like, like everyone cheering for you, all this stuff, right? And like, and everyone back home knows you just fought, and everyone's like on Facebook, on social media, like, hey, oh my God, thank you so much for your service. We're so happy you're home. Blah 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 blah. And then a week later, Gone. that all goes away, mm-hmm. and some guys get out right then and there, right? Like right after the deployment, a lot of guys got out, mm-hmm. and it's like, I think that has a major factor. You go from the celebrity status elite. To now on this team with these brothers that you love, right? Mm-hmm. You literally love the guys in your platoon like a brother to nobody, and you're back in your hometown, and now you're like, you know, you you don't have your place, and you you don't know how to fill the void, and that's mm-hmm. why I talk all. I was talking earlier today, like you got to figure out how to fill the void. Yeah, you know, Fair. like Fair. I mean, I'll be I'll be fully transparent. Like I went to a therapist. I did it for two years. Like I'm you know? still in therapy. Like, and, but I got once to a, a point, week. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I got I got to a point in my therapy where I was just like. You're taking me as far as you can, mm-hmm. like Adam. Like you know, you know, it's time for me to. It's time for me to kind of find an alternate method of therapy. You still need. I still need therapy, right? But I found this alternate method of therapy where, you know, I do like what I do at, at the high school. I, 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 you know, help those kids. But then, like, you know, me and my brother. Before I came back from Afghanistan, the first time my brother talked to nobody mm-hmm. about Iraq. Mm-hmm. And then when I came back, he was like, I think he felt like, like as I started sharing. He started sharing. Mm-hmm. I think it helped us both. For sure. But I think between the two of us, even to this day, there's times where me and him have picked the phone up and call each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think, you know, you have to find a way to fill that void. Yeah. And you've got to co- find a way to find purpose, those people though. to connect. And I hope, you know, hope, hopefully your podcast becomes a way for certain people to fill that void, man. I, I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that if we get enough of us out there, if it does nothing other than to say, hey, look, all these 
26 guys I just did, all these interviews I just did for my first season, every one of them been in combat. Some of them have bronze stars. Some of them have more than that. Some of them have less than that. All of them have Vs. And all of them in one way, shape, or form were adversely affected by the things of combat that they had to do. Mm. None of them let it define the rest of their life. None of them are beating the hell out of their wife right now. And none of them are not taking care of business as far as their finances, their kids, their... Uh, yeah. and, and a lot of times life is what will beat you down. And then sometimes people look for that. Maybe sometimes people just look for a reason to mm, to feel this way. And a lot of that's what you talked about. The celebrity's gone. The brotherhood's gone. You used to be this king dog in this organization. And now you're back at home struggling to find a job or go yeah. to college. And, yeah, that's heavy. Um, that's not I, – I would I would argue to say that there's a whole lot more to PTSD than that. Sure. But there's absolutely part of it. It's absolutely mm-hmm. part of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it affects everybody differently. Like, you know, like the – People need to stop thinking PTSD is Save a Private Ryan where like you're shaking and you can't you can't function. Like no, there's a whole lot of functioning mm-hmm. PTSD out there, mm-hmm. and it doesn't just affect. It, it, I think for a lot of people, it subconsciously affects the way they do things. For sure, the way they interact with people, the way they react to things. Like mm-hmm. you know, like there's there's some switches that if you don't if you don't get help, there's some switches you don't know how to turn off yourself, mm-hmm. right? Or you don't know how to at least put the dimmer on. Mm-hmm. You know, like mm-hmm. and I think you know that's that, that's a you know, hopefully, you know, more, the more guys talk, and I think this is what really hurt the people from Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Vietnam was such an ugly ending, and we're clo- we, we came very close to being very similar to that. We did. Like, and, and I think, I think there's going to be, we're not I even think, close to the repercussions did, of it. Yeah, we did, we did have a bad ending like that. Maybe not, not as bad, but it was, it was not good. But, but the difference between us and Vietnam is no one, is in Vietnam, they pointed at the, the, the service members and they were the baby killers mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and that's the one the one path it didn't go for, for our generation and the mm-hmm. wars we fought mm-hmm. you know but um i i really do think that like like those guys didn't have this opportunity people didn't want to talk about what they went through well vietnam the guys didn't have a va i mean yeah. their yeah. generation led the way for the va to be what it is today for our generation to mm-hmm. get help and so they didn't have all of that um but they did have a disgruntled, disenfranchised company or uh, a country waiting for them at home to spit on them and call them the names and call them the things. And are you asking me, would that be harder or would that have aided in the severity of my internal belief system about myself or what I did? 100%. 100%. Because now you got yellow ribbons and people hugging you and telling you thank you. And that's kind of like we talk about on the podcast, we talk about awards a lot. Awards are you know, kind of necessary and smart because you're, you're taking things that are unnatural that few human beings have done or even willing to do. And you're telling them, yep, thank you. Just, just like that. Mm -hmm. Here's a star. Here's a V here's a this. No, that's why I was like, I was always like, I remember people were being like, uh, on our second deployment, you, you know, you weren't there for the, for the, when we for the return to Mars, one nine was attached to us. Mm -hmm. Uh, there's like a company, uh, alpha, alpha one nine. And, they got in a firefight, and they put in a bunch of guys for awards. And the three six legacy guys were like, "Oh, pff, you don't get a NAM with a V for that." And I like literally, I was on the awards board, me and Sergeant Major Lanham, mm-hmm. and I told Sergeant Major Lanham going into it, I was like, "I'm gonna, I, I don't know what, what your opinion is, but I have a very strict opinion about awards, and my my award is like." My award opinion is participation trophies. I'm like, I'm that person. I don't give a fuck what you think mm-hmm. like about somebody else's write-up in their firefight. If there's a leader 
that says, this guy gets a NAM with a V for the actions I saw, this awards board doesn't get the opportunity to tell him no. Well, it shouldn't because you know? there's a criteria. There's a very specific criteria that you can say, did he fall in these lines? Yeah. Yes, award. There's not a quota. No. and, and That's that, why when that, you go to SOI, the school of infantry over at where, you know, where I used to work over there across the street, you know, over by Lejeune, if you go over there... <laughs> Every single schoolhouse is covered with plaques and uh, a Medal of Honor write-ups and Silver Star write-ups, Bronze Star write-ups. And you know what the average rank is? Motherfucking PFC. Yeah. And that makes a whole lot more sense than yeah. it does if all of them were first sergeants. Yeah, look at, but, look at, you know look at, the, look at the award disparity now, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, like you, if, you go, if you go look at 3-6 on the first deployment and you pull every Bronze V and see who the Bronze Vs are awarded to and you pull every Nam V and you see who the NAMBs are awarded to, there is a direct, it's directly proportionate to rank. And it's like, I, mean, I, it's, I know that now, like I just a, don't understand why that is now. I, I, I don't I, understand why as a, as a company first sergeant, let's say. And, 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 and none of this really matters, but I don't understand why you wouldn't want to say, yeah, I had four, four or five or 20 bronze stars come out of my element. Yeah, I mean, look as at, long as somebody said yes, they did that stuff, and that stuff falls within that criteria, that's it. That should be all there is. It's so funny. Like, we have so many award write-ups from the first deployment. I mean, my like the actual write-up for this award. This covers like so many dates. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. it's so many dates, and mm-hmm. you think about like just what like the guys in our platoons did in the first like three days. Everyone like yeah. multiple in multiple times. Mm-hmm like rates some level of award Mm -hmm. and we literally lumped it all together for this one award at the end of a deployment over six different months of things that were done like my like i literally i sent my award right up to my my dad's cousin michael when i when i was when i was coming back he's got a bronze star from vietnam bronze star from vietnam and uh he he actually stepped on a like a, a landmine or something okay he got wounded and he kept fighting and saved a guy and a cool write up um, and I like sent it to him. He's like Adam. There's like six, seven awards here. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, no, that's not the way it works anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, Which I I'm guess like, we lost maybe, our mindset. There. Maybe some of it is parochialism, but some of it too is uh, the people who are the keepers of of that right now don't want to dilute it or you know delineate it down and and, and kind of take away from the award. But all you're doing when you have a have awards that should fit that criteria yeah. is you're just shitting on that person. Yeah. So you can meet your quota or whatever. And arguably these are the most brave people what that the, that, that really the country good, has to offer. There's that really good World War II book. Um oh, everyone reads it. Is it Slee Sludge Sledge? Oh uh, yeah, E B Sledge with the old breed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like that guy you read that book and then you're like, wait, he didn't get in the metal? <laughs> I know. <laughs> like what? How many pill uh pill cans did yeah. he single-handedly firebomb and grenade so oh, you know on. that's why i tell people all the time like never never talk trash never you know, never question the uh the award when it's submitted by the leader mm-hmm. right be confident the leader has done his due diligence and this award board is to make i told them all and sergeant made lanham awesome i mean stud i met he, him he, right before i left to go to soi and instruct and he, he struck is, me hand, as a, he hands down say him him sergeant major lanham and Master Gunnery Sergeant O'Brien, I don't know if you know nope. them. They single-handedly saved the senior NCO uh, rank for me as an officer. 
because up until that point, I was overly like disappointed in what I I had interacted with, mm-hmm. and I was basically like, "Oh, like are you just a fucked up officer that you that you do you actually hate a lot of these people you're meeting, or like, mm-hmm. you know, like why can you love the sergeant so much and hate the sergeant major?" But we just had a, had an interesting, you know, group of senior leaders to begin with. Well, your first sergeant major, Sergeant Major Robinson, sucked, <laughs> sir. <laughs> yeah, you could you said it, I didn't say it. Uh, I mean, it's come true. On. It's true. And like, and Sergeant Major Land was, was was a dude. Like he was a great yeah. guy, and, and he he you know he he How had the old mentality. was that man? He looked like he was know, born man. with dinosaurs to me when man. I met him. And people were like, "Nah, man, he's just a regular guy." I'm like, "What happened to him?" Like, <laughs> he looked like he had a really hard life. <laughs> guy probably guy probably went into the Marine Corps in '02 and on his 14th deployment. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. hurting, yeah. just just always hurting. Oh, but funny. but um, but no, I think that's I think you know biggest. I think I think to sum it to, to back to your original question as we just continue to be two Marines catching up bullshit and uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but no I think that's the biggest thing is that like I always look for vets to hire at Web Tech and the reason I do is because I know that nothing I'm going to ask them to do is going to be harder than anything they've already done mm. and if they're here today and they have a you know they have that good record I know that they're going to succeed in my business you know mm. yeah and we'll close it out. Uh, we've already been going an hour and 36 minutes and I love Hmm. it but I had one more um, little piece so um, if you could tell war fighters right now pipe hitters that are out there doing it um, if you could give them any advice whether it's one piece two pieces three pieces what advice would you give uh, and let's let's be specific to the lieutenants because that is where your expertise let's Mm. say came yep. in for your war fighting what would that be so my biggest piece of advice that i would give the lieutenants is your sergeants know the tactical shit do not waste your fucking time trying to train your sergeants and your staff sergeants and your platoon on the tactical stuff that's going to happen naturally mm. in your training pipeline teach them about all the shit that they don't know about Teach them about finance. Use your, you have a four-year degree. You got to take accounting. You got to take certain classes, right? Be the mentor because not every Marine is made equally. Mm-hmm. Not every Marine is coming from a family where their mom and dad taught them about taxes, mm-hmm. right? Taught them about how to go to school, right? And every single one of your Marines should have a plan. Mm-hmm. Like there's tuition assistance out there. There's those things. You, your, your primary COA cannot be I'm doing 20 years in the Marine Corps. That's a COA. Right? Maybe it's their primary code. But what's your alternate? Mm-hmm. You know? What's the other what's your yeah, other plan? When this falls apart because you get shot on right? your, shot on your first are, pump, are then you, what? Are, yeah, you, like the number of Marines that weren't investing in the thrift savings plan, I think it was called at the time. It was like, wait, what do you mean you're not investing in the thrift savings sure. plan? It was like, Oh, I do my own stuff. I'm like, No, idiot. I'm like I'm like this extra $27 you have in your account this month that you're going to go buy beer with, mm-hmm. that should be in your thrift savings plan. Like, There's so much of that that we take for granted, and that's actually how you are a leader. Mm-hmm. You take care of the Marines. Are your plans up to date? What are your actual goals? What schools do you want to go to? Mm-hmm. Like Both in the Marine Corps and out. Mm-hmm. Like, Okay, yeah. Oh, by the way, this is how you do an uh, ambush, an L-shaped ambush. Like, who gives a shit? Right, you're gonna cover all that stuff in training. Mm-hmm. Go be the true lieutenant and get with the staff sergeant, right? The or, or gunny, whoever, you, whatever rank the platoon sergeant ends up being, mm-hmm. right? Get with him and be like, "Hey, I'm coming in with knowledge. You have to support me and be my credibility to what I'm telling them." 
right? Because I'm not going to be the 22-year-old lieutenant who's like, hey, make sure you're investing in the thrift savings plan. No, I'm the 22-year-old lieutenant like, hey, here's a chart. If you invest now, here's how much money you're going to have at 20 years. And then I want to hear the staff starting to be like, yeah, so I need everybody to make sure I want you to take a screenshot to show me that you've signed up for the thrift saving plan you have until Friday. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes like, you know, you need a strategy with your with your platoon sergeant. Like, how are we going to grow these boys? Because mm-hmm. let's face it, an 18-year-old, young man, like, like you got more boy characteristics For sure. than man characteristics. So how are we going to take our platoon and make them warriors and make them men in our workup? And mm-hmm. that's, if I'm, a, if I'm a lieutenant, if I'm looking at a brand new lieutenant that's going to the fleet, I'm going to be like, don't think they don't know how to do tactics. They've been living this shit for their whole life. Yeah. You know, like we all played, you know, the native intellects there. <coughs> we all played manhunt and everything else. Like the taxes come pretty naturally, mm. you know, teach them everything else. Teach them about finance. Teach them about taxes. Teach them, teach them about college. Explain to them how to get into schools. Explain to them their options. Talk about Absolutely. trade schools. Talk about all these options. Because some guys are like, fuck, I came in military because I didn't, have any, I didn't, I didn't know what else to do, mm-hmm. and I was, I was a football player. I was super athletic, so I'm like, yeah. So I enlisted in the military, and I'm like, here I am. I'm, you know, six three. Uh, I forget the name of the guy, uh, Seth Newsom. Okay. Uh, you know, he's he was one of uh, one of the machine gunners in three six. He played for LSU. You know, he came out, walked on to LSU, played for LSU. Now he's coaching. I interact with him no every kidding. once in a while about him coaching. But like, you know, he's got. A, he might be a guy you bring on your podcast. He's got a, like a great, a great like you know story, um, but but. You know, those are the guys you got to help. Yeah. You know, like not everyone's coming to the Marine Corps to go be Sergeant Major Marine Corps. Right. But right. yeah, no, that, 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 that would be my biggest piece of advice for those guys. That's a good one. That's a good one. I, uh, I, one more thing in closing thought. I think that the Marine Corps is trying to do better at all of that. And the reason I say that is they got all these changes going on. They got all the, you know, the infantry battalion experience we talked about, but now they have PME requirements where, uh, really, it's on your command, right? But you're supposed to do X number of PMEs in a year, and that PME means you not only read that book, but then you write a report on that book, mm-hmm. and that report goes to your hire. And he was talking about, uh, you know, it's one thing to, to submit your stuff to your officer, and your officer just checks the box. And he said it's another thing when that officer then takes it, reviews it, pin whips it, shows you why you're, where your academics were off, where your punctuation was yeah. off, gives it back to you, and you really understand the information, mm-hmm. and he's helped to give you. And that is the kind of PME that we need. That's the, that's the kind of reading we need. How we do that and implement that into the regular infantry enlisted side, it's a good task for somebody, yeah. and I'm glad they're doing it. Um, I mean, but, we're far but, behind. Think about this. In 2010, we sent, we sent the first ever sergeants to infantry squad leaders course. It didn't exist. Well, it existed. It was just different. They call yeah. it TSOL now. Because I went to, and, a, and it wasn't it wasn't a requirement. Mm-hmm. There was no staff NCO infantry leader requirement like how you know. So I feel like tactically, we're catch. We caught tactics up. are great, but yeah, my, but, we, my, but we haven't caught up like what you're saying. We haven't well, caught up with the other side of that. Well, house. the education's a big thing. Like I need to speak the same language as my lieutenant when he comes out of the basic school in IOC. Mm-hmm. I need to speak that language. I don't. Yeah. And so now they've started sending like. Let's say your your senior squad leader from your company, he's going to go up to IOC. He's going to run through it and get the lingo and bring that back and then let that kind of be disseminated cool. through the ranks. I think that'll be good. I think the experience, the uh, infantry battalion experience is great, but uh, uh, I think that does it, man. I, yeah, we've man, been, I we've been going. It's been, it's been awesome. Got to come down to South Florida and do some fishing, see some, see some old friends, get yeah, some recordings, man. and uh, – 
and I appreciate you doing it. Appreciate you uh, having me at your house, um, just through the old travel studio in the truck and hold ass. So yeah, you I mean listen, you ever need anything, you reach out to me. You need me to support anything you got going on, reach out to me. I gotta, I gotta, I'm gonna make sure that I publicize the crap out of this podcast. I hope you blow up. I think you're doing great stuff. As, uh, if we can just know, help people make better decisions exactly. and better choices, that's where you know, it's we got to promote people like you, good people that are out there trying to help people be better, trying to educate people on what's going on in this world, what we've gone through previously. You know, like I'm telling you, man, like you're doing like freaking God's work. You really are, like, and it's gonna impa- it's gonna impact a lot of people. And I think you're an awesome guy for doing it, man. I really do. I appreciate it, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Franco. Thanks. How we doing, everybody? This is the co-host of Choices Not Chances podcast, Matthew Charette. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Louisiana Gun Shop. The folks at Louisiana Gun Shop have been a longtime supplier of firearms and shooting supplies and services, as well as very good friends of mine. In episode seven of the podcast, we interviewed the owner and founder, Harlan Bottler. At Louisiana Gun Shop, the sky is the limit when it comes to getting the firearms and accessories you want for your current or future firearms. They have a nice selection of handguns, rifles, and shotguns in stock or can order just about any firearm you could want or need. They specialize in concealed carry handguns and custom AR-15 builds. In addition to firearms, they also carry ammo, suppressors, optics, and a wide variety of gun parts for the upgrade and maintenance of your firearm. If you want to get further in the upgrade side of things, they provide customization services such as Cerakote, laser engraving, and Kydex holsters. Louisiana Gun Shop is located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette. It used to be Louisiana Gun Shop did not have an online presence, but now I am happy to announce that their website is up and ready for business for online sales to all 50 states at louisianagunshop.com slash pages slash cnc. Louisiana Gun Shop also offers Louisiana residents concealed carry classes for a very reasonable price. Holland's experience in the concealed carry space when it comes to the laws and the do's and the don'ts is pivotal in attaining your Louisiana concealed carry license. As well as the firearm market, Harlan also conducts explosives training for Louisiana blasters licenses for oil field and special effects workers in Louisiana. Workers in these fields from out of state also need to have this training in order to complete work in Louisiana. So whether you need a firearm, upgrade your old firearm, targets and ammo for a range day, or you just like to talk to people who support the Second Amendment, Louisiana Gun Shop is your place, either in person or online. Remember, they are located on Highway 90 West in Broussard, Louisiana, just south of Lafayette, or online at louisianagunshop.com pages cnc. Check the episode description for the link. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Louisiana Gun Shop. A special thanks to Harlan and Jenny at Louisiana Gun Shop for sponsoring the show. Please support them so they can support us and keep the podcast free for all. Thanks. Have a great day. Semper Fi. And God bless America. Not too far. You're marking the building. Hit him. Yeah, that's good. That's a good shot. That's funny.